This morning from Ephesians chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, and I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come and he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all this is the word of god for the people of god So if you have your Bible open, I'm going to suggest you keep it open. If you have it open on your phone, do that as well. If you don't have a Bible open, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. I'm going to suggest you pull it out and flip over toward the back, find page 192 in the Christian Scriptures. That'll be Ephesians 1, verse 15. This passage has a lot of long phrases, and I want you to be able to read along. I think it'll help follow what I'm going to say about the nature of Christ this morning, if you're able to see what's written there. So as I mentioned in our announcements, we are at the last Sunday of the Christian year. All we've been doing since early December last year is to lead us to this point where we can, as a church, declare that Christ is King. But it's more than just a general confession. It's to be a personal confession that says Christ is King or Ruler of my life it's to be something that because we have followed this journey of christ throughout the christian liturgical year we are ready to affirm or proclaim to profess together that christ is king and ruler in our hearts and that changes everything this passage we read from ephesians talks about the nature of christ i want to read you those last few verses beginning in verse 20 it says God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I think you can hear there readily this description of how we should exalt Christ and how Christ is head of everything. How this author is saying, look what God has done to move Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus as the Christ. What we don't hear as easily as those first century readers and hearers would have noticed is when the church in the Roman Empire 
is saying Christ is king, they're also saying Caesar is not king. The emperor, who sometimes claimed to be son of God, divine, king of all the world, Christians are saying, oh no, there is one much greater than that. Christ is king. Christ is the one with all power, authority, and dominion. He is the one that rules our lives. In your Bible, maybe like in mine, there's a subtitle just before verse 15 that says, Paul's prayer. This whole section we're reading from today is Paul writing a prayer for the early Christians at Ephesus that they might come to know that Christ is Lord and Savior, that Christ is King, not only of the universe, but King of their lives as well. He tells us why he's praying this prayer in verse 17. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him or as you come to know Christ. So that, and stop right there, that's a tip or a clue that He's getting ready to tell us what difference it makes that we can come to know Christ personally. He's getting ready to tell us about the results of what happens in our lives when we come to recognize or declare that Christ is King. Verse 18, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe? Paul's pointing out there's three results here that come to all of us who know Christ. One, we get to be filled with hope. If we know that God is calling us, if we know that God has a purpose for us, we have hope in our lives because God has called us, given us a purpose, and sent us into the future. But it's more than that. Number two, we also get to see the riches of the inheritance of those who came before us. He's talking about those people who were believers before we were believers, and we can see the hope in their life. So in a sense, we inherit that hope. So we get our portion, but we also get a double portion, if you will, because we can see that God has been at work in other people's lives. Haven't you had that experience where someone tells you about something that happened in their life? where they could see that God was at work, where this or that was happening, and then they found that God was there and led them in this way or that way, and they're so inspired that they've experienced the presence and the power of God working in their lives. And even though you don't have that experience, you've heard it, and it inspires you as well. I love it when I hear somebody else who's ready to tell their story about faith and how it got them through a difficult circumstances or it helped them make a tricky decision or it gave them comfort or strength in a time of need. We get a double portion. We inherit the hope of those before us and around us. Then number three, Paul says, then finally we get a glimpse of the immeasurable greatness, he says, of God's power. For those who believe. 
Now, God's power is at work in the world all the time, available to anybody and everybody. But what Christians affirm is that when we have the eyes of faith or the eyes of our hearts are opened, as this author says, we get to experience the greater fullness or the immeasurable greatness of God's power when we begin to live by faith, when we come to believe, when we begin to trust that God is really at work in the world and at work in our lives for good, then that's when we get to experience the maximum power of God impacting our lives. When we open the eyes of our hearts or have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, as he says. So those three things come, but then it's extended one more step. In verse 20, when he begins to talk about how God raised Christ from the dead and ties all this hope to eternal life, that it's not only in this life that God is at work, but God is at work in life and death and life beyond death. Can you hear in this prayer, this prayer saying, Here, there is hope now. There was hope before. And friends, surely there is hope in the future. Can you hear that message in this prayer from Paul? Where is hope alive in your life? Are you living in such a way that you exude that kind of hope? As Christians, we're to be the people who are full of hope. Rachel Naomi Raymond is a doctor who works with patients who have life-threatening illnesses. She writes about their lives, not only medically, but the transformations that she sometimes gets to witness as she's walking with a patient through the travails of illness. She says, often a critical step is accepting the illness and embracing life, even without knowing what the future holds. She goes on to say, when people begin to take such an attitude, they seem to become intensely alive, intensely present. Their losses and suffering have not caused them to reject life, have not cast them into a place of resentment, victimization, or bitterness. She says, as one patient puts it, I have let go of my preferences and I'm living with an intense awareness of the miracle of the moment. Or in the words of another patient, I really like this one. They said, when you're walking on thin ice, you might as well dance. I love that. Not because I live that way. I don't take those kind of risks. But the challenge of living in the moment, of trusting God in every moment, even if you feel like you're on thin ice. It's the same challenge this letter to the Ephesians presents to us today, challenging us to live with hope despite circumstance, to trust in God because you know Christ is King, even when we do not know what the future holds, even when we do not know what the next moment may be. This author saying, you can trust in God. You can live with hope because Christ is king and you're part of the body of Christ that's what the passage says we're all part of the body of Christ and Christ is king therefore it leads to that conclusion that we can know the fullness of Christ who fills 
all in all. People of the church, of all people, we are to be the people of hope despite any turbulence or turmoil, whatever trials you may face. Because we know, we're the ones who are to know and proclaim Christ is King. God is at work. Love is being poured into us. Blessings are being offered to us. God is leading us, and we're to live as a people of hope. One woman that worships with us via television wrote me a couple of weeks ago. She said, I would be remiss if I didn't write and tell you how important the broadcast is. The words of wisdom, the joy and inspiration I receive every week are so important to me. She went on to talk about that these have been some of the hardest days of her life since she'd lost the one that she had known and loved so well. But she said, being able to worship with Boston Avenue even via television, was God with her? Was God with her? She was finding hope through these difficult days because we gather together here and share our worship experience. She was living with hope. Most of you know, last month we spent quite a bit of time talking about stewardship. We send you letters and follow-up calls but we always have a group that for whatever reason isn't able to fill out that pledge card or that estimate of giving and so in a lot of churches those people are just left alone but I had the good fortune of working here early in my ministry and Dr. Biggs taught me how to do this not just the technical aspects but the importance of calling those who probably want to help, but for whatever reason just didn't get the card filled out. And they make such a huge difference when we're able to make contact with them. I realized in those early days of making those calls what a blessing it was because 99 out of 100 of those we call, they want to give. They want to be a part of the work of God, but for one reason or another, they just never got the card to us during the month. One family I called had just gone through the experience of death. They had lost one in their family. They were still reeling. There were still some struggles in the family. But you know, all they could talk about was how appreciative they were of this church and how so many people, pastors and you all, had surrounded them with love and support in those difficult days of death and grieving. They were full of hope. They were ready to give. They just needed that extra phone call to get on board. One of our staff members talked to a woman whose husband has just received a terrible health diagnosis. Recovery is uncertain. They're living day to day right now. It looked like maybe they weren't going to be able to give. I mean, as you hear the story, they're in a tough spot. But then the woman said to the staff person, but in regard to my pledge, add $100 to that. I haven't even looked at it. I don't know what we did last year, but I want to add to it. I know we're moving up one degree, and we can do this because I know that God will provide. Oh, when I hear that kind of story, I'm fired up. Their witness is encouraging me. They're in these dark days of struggle, and yet they want to step up and do more because they know this is a place of hope. They know this is a place of healing. 
They know this is a place that will help them through these difficult days. I talked to one woman who had had surgery. She'd been in the hospital. We didn't know it. Somehow we had missed that. She hadn't filled out her card. She had a whole stack of mail because she had been in the hospital with surgery. But she was delighted to get the phone call to be able to update us, to reconnect, to go ahead and make her commitment, her estimate of giving for next year so she could be part of the work of God. Or one man who had also had surgery, but his story was a little different. For a variety of reasons, he had quit coming to church. I mean, he had dropped out on us well before he got sick. But now he's been sick and he's had surgery. He's been in the hospital. We visited. Now we're calling. He was elated. He couldn't say enough how excited he was that we had called to ask for his pledge. For him, it was a way to reconnect. He knew that he had dropped out on us well before we had dropped out on him. But the fact that we bothered to make the phone call to follow up inspired him gave him a new sense of hope and reconnected him with his family of faith. When he recovers, he will be back. Contrast that with the one out of a hundred that you get, where if you listen to them very long, you would think their life is worse than anybody's. Everything's terrible. Everything has gone wrong. Things are so bad. I talked to one woman like that. She's quit coming to church. She doesn't come anymore. But worse than that, she has lost her hope. She is a lifelong Christian, but she is no longer experiencing the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. As she was telling me about her experiences, I could just feel that the hope had drained out. And so I took a clue from Paul. And I said, could I pray for you right now? I just stopped talking. We had a moment of silence. And then I began to pray for her. Oh, not as eloquently as Paul writes, but pray that she might be rekindled in her faith, that she might have a renewed sense of hope, that she might feel encouraged by our conversation, that she might reclaim a life of prayer, that she might recommit to getting connected with the body of Christ. I'll still pray for her, that God somehow will reignite her hope and reinstill her faith and rebuild her in this difficult time. Because Christian life is to be filled with hope. We have lots of young couples here at the church who are dealing with getting their lives started, starting their careers, having babies, buying houses, dealing with all kinds of expenses, some of them still paying college expenses. And in the midst of all of that, we're asking them to give to the church, and they're beginning to learn about what that means to give a portion of what God has given you back to God's work through the church. One young couple made their commitment last year about this time. They estimated their giving that next, for that next year like they had never done before. And then this year when we called them, I was afraid maybe they hadn't been able to follow through. Maybe it hadn't worked out for them. But you know what they did when we called them? They doubled their pledge. 
We asked them to rise up one degree, and they doubled their pledge. I'm inspired when God works in people's lives in such a way that they see and experience faith alive and hope alive, and they want to be a part of that work through the church. I want to echo what Paul says in those first couple of verses. Hear again how he starts this section. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I do not give Cease to give thanks for you all, Boston Avenue. I'm so grateful for all that you do, for who you are, for how you step up in faith and support one another and reach out to the community and give hope to others. I continue to give thanks to God for all that God is doing in our midst. Do not cease to give thanks, for Christ is King. Amen.